This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton, live from balmy Prince George. I understand it's a bit of a cooker there this week. Oh, yeah. We're under a heat warning. So, like I said on this episode, that means we're getting to the 18, 19 degrees Celsius. But in, <laughs> but in all honesty, it can get hot up here, like mid-30s. It's it's a dry heat, though, right? It's, it's, we're not the... We're not going to complain about the humidity the way you do down there on the coast because it's a different sort of heat, but it sucks when it gets that hot. But we've had a pretty rainy, rainy summer, spring, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, it's, it's been weird, but we'll take the heat for the week or two. Yeah, for sure. So first week of August, we were rolling into uh, the sheep opener. So um, you mentioned, uh, let's do a giveaway on yeah. this one. So set it up for us. What are we doing? Well, I don't know what we're going to give away yet, but I think it'd be something pretty kick-ass if uh, the first person that emails us a legal BC sheep, that, like I mean inspected legal, uh, picture the plug, picture the field, uh, field field animal, and uh, email it to communications at wildsheepsociety.com. We'll have something cool for you. I don't know if it's going to be hat, hoodie, shirt, mix of the above. 100 bucks at, uh, at the store. That works. So. Send us your picture. We'll put it up on the Instagram page. You have to be able to post it. We have to be able to post it. Uh, but like said, uh, Steve said, it has to be CI'd. Yeah. It has to be a 2022 sheep. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we've been talking lots about, um, you know, harvesting legal rams, harvesting old rams, uh, mature rams. So uh, just to, in, consistent with that theme, we know there's some some rams down already um by uh day day three of the season so oh, yeah yeah love to see your sheep but uh get your ci done and first one to do that for us that shares a photo with us we'll uh we'll get you some swag to the store well, we might even be nice and give so. it to the second second person as well there could be a couple of packages here we just want to see some legally inspected sheep yeah awesome um, so Jurassic's one week out. So the Jurassic Classic, it's our fundraiser. Uh, we're fishing for sturgeon on mm-hmm. the Fraser River down in Chilliwack, and we're raising money for wild sheep in British Columbia. Great event. What a just a great weekend, great time for conservation, and uh, a lot of fun. And we got a bunch of stuff we're doing that weekend. So we're going to be drawing our Stone Glacier raffle. Actually, we have. I think there's five raffles we're drawing for this yeah. weekend. So uh, most of them are sold out. So thank you to all of our supporters for buying tickets. Of course, our donors. Uh, we have uh, one package left. It's our Stone Glacier raffle and a handful of tickets left. There's not much left. There's less than a week. Uh, there's about a week to go on that. So if you're thinking about buying some raffle tickets, you want to do it now. We're just about sold out. But um, that will have you set up for the mountains. It's got all the gear you need from Stone Glacier, uh, tent, backpack, um, all your hunting gear, everything you need. So great package. Check it out. Yeah. Definitely. What else we got going on? We got to, What are we doing? We got the membership drive that is concluding there too, aren't, don't we? Speaking of sturgeon fishing. Yeah. So uh, we're going to draw this uh, membership uh, giveaway on the Fraser River. It's a fully guided fishing trip for sturgeon uh, on the Fraser River. And uh, thanks to our good friends over at Wood Wheaton for sponsoring that. And uh, that's the first place prize. We have a second and third place prize as well. Frontier yeah. Frontiersman gear is giving away a knife, and then also a swag package from Wild Sheep BC. So if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a membership, do it now. If you got one, um, extend it by a year. You get your name in. Uh, you can upgrade to Life. You can upgrade to Monarch. Uh, everyone's eligible. Anyone that's bought um, since I think it goes all the way back to January. If it not is before. Um, yeah. yeah, I can't remember the start date on that. Um, but this is a great time to upgrade. Uh, let's keep our membership uh, numbers growing as we do our conservation work in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to draw that on. I believe it's on Sunday night at the Jurassic. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, make sure you get your uh, get your membership and uh, keep. Uh, helping us do our great work for conservation in BC. Yeah. Raffles like this put uh, over a million dollars onto the ground in BC in the last five years or so. So that's that's where your money goes. Results on the ground. And we've, we've had some burns go off this year and we've had some uh, property purchases. Every little bit, you, you may not think 30 bucks a year, 40 bucks a year helps, but it does. It all adds up. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is episode 85. Um 
This is Branlin Shockey. Branlin's done uh, such great work in um, in the in the hunting community. I guess uh, you know maybe that's not the right word, but uh, he's done a ton of work. Um, and he, you'll recognize that name, Shockey, right? So we've had Jim on the show. I think he was episode sixty. And uh, the cool thing is, is Branlin's forged his own way. He's he's gained his own. Um, uh, following his own fame, uh, doing his own thing. He's done a ton of uh, production work on the uh, videography side. Uh, he's also done a work, a ton of work behind the camera. So we talked to, to Brandon what it's like to be on the road and doing this kind of stuff, to be out there, um, the, the videography work, but then also the production work and the things that he's done over the past decade, couple of decades mm-hmm. and then what he's working on now what he's going to be working on in the future and uh, i'll tell you this, this is this was an easy podcast yeah. for me just sit there and listen to the stories right? yeah he's very much like his dad when it comes to the storytelling you, you, you as soon as he opens his mouth you just know it's going to be well spun and you just go wow this is good a good listen and could have him around a campfire any day and just just shoot the shit with him and and listen to his experiences and the what it's like to be two feet away from a, a lion protected by, well, protected is the word uh, I wouldn't use by a, by a sheet of fabric. So that was pretty, pretty puckering. We'll say I can only imagine it from his point of view. So yeah, great, great uh, guy to talk to. And I look forward to doing it again. Off to episode 85 with Bradlin Shockey. Enjoy. Across Canada and throughout the world. If you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Well, good afternoon, Brandlin. Welcome to Talk of Sheep. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show. Thank you for uh, having me. I'm excited. Cool. So uh, before we got going here, we touched a little bit about where you're where you're sitting at. So maybe give us an update on on what part of the world you're in, what you're up to these days, and what's on the agenda for your fall. I'm sure there'll be some uh, chasing some critters around somewhere with a camera or, or likewise. So yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in British Columbia, obviously. So, you know, when I think of home, I think of, uh, you know, big mountains and a little bit of rain and, and oceans. And uh, But about a year ago, my wife and I and our, our two kids moved down to Kansas City. So I am calling you guys from Kansas City right now. It's about 100 degrees outside. Uh, very much not like BC is this time of year. Uh, in terms of like what I've got planned... Um, yeah, I mean, we can get all into that. I got all kinds of stuff, I guess, coming up. I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't chase critters around as much as I used to. So, uh, you know, I spent obviously 10 years, you know, following people around with a camera on the sides of mountains and in jungles and all over the planet. And that's, that's, that stuff has changed a little bit for me recently. So, uh, you know, the, the big project that I'm shooting coming up here is actually a, a project for the outdoor channel. But it's not hunting. It's actually about, uh, I don't know if I want to say, I don't know if I can say what the name and everything about it, but it's about uh, American manufacturers and like bringing, um, you know, really cool like entrepreneurship or entrepreneurs, like th- their vision for these like um, USA made products that they're bringing over and they're, and, they're, and they're bringing skills over from different parts of the world and learning it here and, and building things here. So that's kind of what, what I'm about to dive into now. Wow. Okay. So there's a lot there. So let's, I yeah. guess let's back it up. Um, yeah. and, and we'll, we'll get there eventually and talk, dive into that project. But, um, okay. So you grew up in BC, so I'm guessing you grew up on the Island. Um, is that correct? Like, is that the family home? Is, is that kind of where you grew up or, or cause you guys have been on the Island for 30 years, right? Or your dad oh, yeah. and family. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Island was, you know, I, I lived away. I lived in Vancouver for a little bit. I was even in Kelowna for about six months uh, in Victoria too. But yeah, uh, we we still actually have a, a house right in uh, Maple Bay, actually right in Vancouver Round. Yeah, right on. So, so you grew up, and I guess um, you know how 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 did growing up like and being you know part of the the the, sh- the Shockey family? How did that influence what you do today? So obviously. 
you know, you guys are no stranger to, to camera work and TV and that sort of stuff. Is that did that help shape of who you are? Um, you know, you haven't necessarily followed in the, the footsteps of your father, and and you know, he's quite got quite the legacy that that you could follow into, and you've kind of you you've certainly plotted your own path, which I always, always thought was really really cool about you. So, t- tell us a little bit about your early influence and how that adapted to where you are today. I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, dad and mom have been uh, gigantic influences for myself, obviously, and, and my sister. Uh, you know, she probably followed a little bit more closely in dad's footsteps than I did. But, you know, dad's got big footsteps, like really big. You know, so as a, as a son, uh, you know, that that's a uh, – I mean, <laughs> it's funny. I'm only recently kind of looking back on, you know, growing up with someone like dad and, th- and realizing like how, you know, crazy that upbringing really was, like how different – you know, being the son of, you know, one of the most famous hunters on the planet uh, really was because, you know, at the time you you adapt to all this and that's normal for you. Right. Uh, so, you know, dad going and gallivanting around the world and, you know, uh, traveling for 300 days a year and then taking me on some of those trips. Right. As like a younger kid, basically, uh, you know, I was doing things that are very outside the normal for most people. But for me at the time, you know, was was normal, you know, spending a month in Africa was, was relatively normal. You know, you get back to school and I'd be like, everybody would be like, well, so, you know, like, yeah, I, uh, you know, whatever. I went mountain biking and stuff in the summer. I'd be like, yeah, I was, you know, in the middle of Africa on a Cape Buffalo hunt or something. Like, it's just, like, it's hard to even like, hard to understand at that point, like how different that is. So yeah, it's, it, it was a huge influence and, and continues to be. I mean, I talk to dad still all the time about, you know, life stuff and career stuff and, you know, he always updates me in the things that he's doing because he's always working on different things and he's always got these these ideas for, um, you know, how, things that he wants to do. And, you know, he and I, although we have some interests that are different, we actually have a lot of similar interests too. He's, um, yeah, I mean, I could talk for all, all day about that. He's a, a really amazing, you know, person, like a really interesting person. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, growing up and having that influence, uh, and I guess like you started doing that work, right? A lot of a lot of the camera work, and and I guess where did that start? Where did when did you pick oh, up the camera yeah. and get involved in in uh, production and, and and shooting and that sort of stuff? Where did that did that start at a, a real young age for you? Is that something that you kind of followed it fell into? Because uh, you you won all these awards, you, you've created a lifestyle or life for yourself out of it. But where did that come from? Yeah. Okay. Great question. Yeah. So the first time that I really got involved in that was, uh, actually I wasn't involved at all. I was just observing. So I remember being, you know, I was, I don't know the exact ages of me. I'm going to generalize here, but I was probably, you know, somewhere 13, 14, somewhere in there. And, uh, dad was talking about starting this TV series and, uh, you know, I didn't, at the time I, I didn't watch hunting shows hardly at all. And the hunting shows I think were on it and then were, you know, really, really basic, basic things like they're you know they're obviously looking back at them now even on the early productions we did you know i kind of cringe but uh he was talking about starting starting something up and i remember him you know throwing ideas around he landed on hunting adventures and i think i actually told him I was like, man i don't know if that's a very good name dad that's not gonna fly uh but that's what he went with any any i was too young then to be involved in this um without violating like child labor laws so there was a uh, uh cody robbins was the very first mm-hmm. editor dad had and 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 cody's still a good friend um and and obviously like doing very well for himself now in his own right but he came over and uh let me think what they did dad at some point committed to doing this series and i think the outdoor channel was starting up then so he got involved with them and he bought a computer system editing system and i think you know it's quite expensive in those days you know this we were not you know rocking and rolling quite as much as, as uh, you know, dad is now. So, I mean, it was a, it was a huge commitment for him. And Cody came over, you know, from Saskatchewan and he basically, you know, from day one started editing on this, this setup and I would watch. So Cody Robbins uh, was my sort of first, can't believe I'm saying this, my first mentor in like the editing, you know, computer production world. And I, and I watched him literally come over as his kid and, you know, he's a bit older than me, but still a kid and, and learned to create a show. And I, and he, you know, he was turning around episodes in like five days or something crazy at that point. Uh, you know, now it might take us, you know, four to six weeks, you know, totally different with all. And so, yeah, I, I didn't, 
I kind of went to the school of, uh, I guess, hard knocks on that. I, I didn't, you know, go to any fancy, fancy schools or production houses or have an experience like that. So I watched. And then at some point, a little later on, I got, I'm trying to remember now, I think I got a little involved, like maybe on my, so I was in university or, yeah, was it university? Was I a high school or university? I do a I think it was high school. I do a little bit of editing in the summer. And uh, he had this segment called the SCI segment on hunting adventures. And uh, I w edited, I think, a few of those, but you know, nothing crazy. I, I go there, you know, for a few hours from the day and do some editing. Um, so anyway, not a very good candidate for starting a TV series. But then, <laughs> after uh, I went off to university, so now I'm, you know, I'm uh, what might it be like, you know, 21, 22, getting out of that. And uh, this was where things kind of changed. So. And even in university, I found that on projects we were doing, uh, I would sometimes just edit little movies together, you know, play them in front of the class. And I, you know, they weren't, we're not going to win any, you know, awards for what those were, but I was still somewhat involved in the editing space. And uh, then after university, I thought, hey, I'm going to go into finance, dad. I'm going to be a, you know, a business guy, an entrepreneur. And, and, uh, and so he said, okay. And, uh, <laughs> And I didn't, I, uh, you know, hung around, I've still got guitars and stuff. I, you know, was playing songs and just kind of doing my own thing. And, you know, I was a single kid living wherever I was living. I don't even know now, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, taking in the world, I guess. And, uh, and one day dad calls me from, or he emails me, he's coming back from, uh, Afghanistan. Right. So I'm doing all this stuff, kind of just being a, regular dude and dad's you know again just in afghanistan you know again like normal for me but not normal for most people <laughs> and uh he says i think it was afghanistan maybe it's like tajikistan i can't remember and oh no it's pakistan he was coming back from pakistan not afghanistan and he uh he said hey i've been thinking you know i've got this idea for a series you know on top of what we do with hunting adventures and it's, uh, it, it, you know, what if we went kind of behind the scenes and showed more about what goes on into a hunt? Because in those days, most shows were like, literally like, you know, hello, my name is John. Today we're going to be hunting, you know, whatever, mule deer. And it was a lot about, you know, like how many kill shots you could have mm -hmm. in the show and a lot of really like heavy sponsor work, like heavy, you know, sponsored content. And uh, he said, well, why don't we like show behind the scenes, you know, show us like getting ready, packing and like what goes into planning these big trips. And, you know, he's doing some pretty serious stuff where, you know, there's, there's danger involved and there's uh, logistics that are crazy, you know, like whatever helicoptering into the middle of like Russia and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, sure. Who do you want to do it? And he said, uh, you. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, dad, but I'm kind of busy, you know, like, oh, did I lose you guys? Nope. Nope. Me? So there. Okay. Um, I said, yeah, I'm kind of busy doing nothing. And, uh, I said, okay, well think about it. Um, and so I did. And, uh, I thought about it and then I started thinking of like, what was holding me back from doing this. And at that time, you know, again, this is just, this is, and I'm just trying to be honest here, you know, in case anyone's listening and this means something to them, but, uh, growing up with someone like that is interesting because you take all this stuff for granted. Right. Like what a, what an, what an incredible opportunity that dad's just like throwing my way. Like, Hey son, like, you know, start this up. Uh, people would literally give their left arm, you know, at the time to have that kind of opportunity. And, and here I am just sitting, you know, kind of, you know, not wasting my life away, but you know, I wasn't like accomplishing anything that was going to be in a book or anything like that, or get me on a podcast one day. And, and so, uh, I think I did make, I think I made a good decision. I thought about it. I thought, you know what, this is a real opportunity. Let's see what I can do with that. So, uh, the problem I'm getting long winded here, but the problem at that point was I didn't know how to, uh, hardly edit at all. So I've only done little SCI segments. Um, and I, you know, I probably, to me, I probably had some, you know, natural ability at that. I was pretty techie even then, uh, you know, still am. And, uh, so I sat down on, I think it was YouTube at the time I was just kind of starting. That's pretty new too. And I sat down and I basically learned how to edit for, you know, six months, something like that. And I would take time every day to make sure that I kind of knew what I was doing. And when it time when it came time to actually put together like what would be the pilot for professionals, what became to be called professionals, uh, which was a trip to that trip to Pakistan, uh, I still didn't really know. So, you know, I, I just kind of like faked it until I made it at that point, literally. So. 
people, you know, at that time, again, if you want to get a TV series done, especially then people would say, hey, okay, here's what you need. You need a million dollar production suite. You need a team of editors. You need, uh, you know, whatever, a producer, a line producer. You need catering. You need blah, 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 blah. And I had a laptop, which I had begged my dad to buy for me. So I had... I had one laptop and I had um, a bedroom because I was I was sharing an apartment with like three guys at the time. There's no space for me to do this stuff. So, uh, and I couldn't afford anything else. I had basically no money, I had, and so I took a couple of like boxes basically and I put them together into like a makeshift desk, like cardboard boxes, literally. Um, and then I had my computer and I edited the first you know, like pilot of professionals basically on that. And, uh, and then I lied. I sent it off to the outdoor channel and I said that this was all shot, you know, whatever the pro has formats and stuff I had to be mm-hmm. and wasn't. Um, but what, what I did do was I spent, um, an inordinate amount of time and energy on that at that time. So everybody else, my age, you know, again, I had been doing this, everybody else now was, you know, going out and partying, whatever they're doing. And, uh, I, I didn't, I, I basically just stayed inside for, uh, extended period of time and i it, you know there's shots uh, i don't know how familiar you are with the professional series but there's shots you know of like slow motion stuff going on like jumping eye backs and things like that like i would spend days getting those shots right because we weren't shooting those in slow motion we we're shooting them in just regular with regular hdv cams and uh, i figured out ways to you know slow that down to 60 frames and then slow and then interpolate or interpolate is even a word i don't know uh make that seem like it was shot at 240 frames using the like optical flow programs and stuff like stuff that people weren't doing at the time. Uh, just because I was so naive that I didn't even know that, that, you know, you weren't supposed to do stuff that way. So I did. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, honestly, there's, there's luck involved here. Um, at that time, there was some probably like, you know, just some work ethic from my side and a lot of just naivety and, and not knowing that that shouldn't be possible. So anyway, I'll, I'll draw this to a close, but that, I remember showing that Pakistan episode to dad uh, and, you know, him kind of being like, okay, you know, I think think we have something because, uh, you know, what I'm not mentioning here is behind the scenes, you know, now they're approaching sponsors, dad's trying to get this new show launch and there is a lot of pressure. And when you sit down and you, you have to show someone, even if he's your, your, and actually maybe more so because he's your dad, show him something you've been working on and trying to come into fruition, like this, this vision that, that he's had, I'm trying to make it not just his vision, but expand on that and like throw a bit of like what I think it could be into that as well. Uh, and I'm kind of like shirking a little bit of the regular, uh, you know, formats of, of what is, what is deemed to be successful in this space. Yeah. There's lots of pressure and I was, yeah, for all those reasons, it, it did end up working out. So you guys, you know, over the years, you guys won a ton of awards, you specifically, mm-hmm. for the work that you did. So do you credit that to, obviously, a ton of hard work? That's no, there's no doubt there. But first of all, you're not even working with the same tools that a lot of people are, that you didn't have the million-dollar setup, you didn't have the production team. Um, is Was it, um, like you said, your naivety and your innocence that just like, hey, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not predisposed. I'm just going to create something that I think is impactful – and then the show too didn't hurt, right? The fact that you know that it was a new concept of professionals as well. So, what do you think the major successes were? Was it your your knack for it, your um, you know lack of official training? Because if you if you'd gone to school for it, your approach to it probably would have been different too. And then, quote, you're just another cookie cutter as well, possibly. So, I'd like to get your perspective on that, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I okay. So first of all, I, I don't think that what I did sucked, right? Like I think that at the end of the day, you have to have something that, you know, ends up or people end up liking, right? Whatever that metric is, you know, there's, there's great art and then there's kind of, uh, you know, there's commercial success and there's, this, you know, sort of muddy lines between that. And I, I definitely what I was doing was not great art. Um, and it wasn't like ridiculously successful, like, you know, it's getting 200 million people to watch it, you know, on their, on HBO or something. So it was somewhere in between and I tried to do my best. Um, but one thing that, again, you know, I don't know if this was naivety. It probably was. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't watch hunting shows. I think that helped a lot, right? Because now I never looked at a hunting show. In fact, I looked in completely, completely opposite. I didn't look at hunting shows as like this, like this is the Mecca because they're, you know, ostensibly the the best out there because it's whoever, you know, whatever. I don't know what the hunting shows were then, but um, I didn't look at those as being like something that I'm striving to hit. 
So I start basically, I sent you with a blank canvas and, you know, I'm watching show, I'm watching movies by like Guy Ritchie, you know, at, the, at that time and thinking, wow, like that was so cool. I wonder if I can use that like cool editing stuff he does. There's a, t there's a term for what his particular style is into uh, like, a, like a hunting show. And uh, luckily, you know, I didn't have anybody telling me that that was dumb, um, you know, and, and so I was kind of allowed to, to do some of that. Uh, and then, uh, and then I just browse around to find stuff that, that struck me. I, I saw a, there's a really talented, uh, musician, uh, composer, I guess, and Tony Anderson, I'm still friends with today. And, uh, I was, I saw something on YouTube that he was made uh, from his, uh, use his music. Um, there was a particular track. I'm trying to remember what it was anyway on the, uh, and then I just, again, kind of being naive, I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, like, can I use your track on this TV series? I don't know if I really was too specific on that. I was making my bedroom. I think I kind of implied it was a little bit bigger than what, what it really was. Uh, <laughs> and so I got permission to use some of his music. And, and that really helped too, you know, because now I'm not drawing from like your, your typical uh, spots that you're going to draw, you know, music that everybody else is doing on, on the outdoor TV at that time. So that helped a lot. Um, but yeah, I... I I think it's a combination of all this stuff. I think at the end of the day, you have to make something that is good, but you also have to uh, be naive enough to try things that people aren't trying, you know, and you, ha you either have to be naive or you have to be so good, which I wasn't, that you understand that like there's a, there, there's a better version of what's out there. Uh, and also let me add this on having dad is part of this, right. And with the original concept that that was his, uh, and so, you know, again, and dad's excellent on camera and he's, he's not just a hunter. He's a, you know, he's an explorer. He's a poet. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of terms, tags you could, you could put on to, to dad's profile that, that helped tremendously. So, you know, I'm not trying to take all the credit for this, but definitely on my side of this, it was not being afraid or at least not being experienced enough to, to avoid taking risks and, and rolling dices and then following through with that. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a tremendous shift in my life when professionals came out, and we did when you know when all the, again back then they had all these award systems set up too, right, with the Golden Moose Awards, and that was a giant deal. I'm like a kid, I'm just a kid, you know. And and in a year, I went from I'd been to a, a Golden Moose Awards I think the year before because I think Honey Ventures actually won it, and uh, so I'd just kind of seen that, and I was I remember thinking like, holy, uh, you know, bleep. Uh, this is like a big deal. There's like big names here. There's like 3,000 people in this audience. Like this is no joke. And uh, and then we won it the, the next year. I mean, I was just like, I may be like winning the whatever, the, the Grammys or something. I was just the, the Oscars, you know, for me. I, I remember that actually. I remember that award being given out for the show. And I, but I, at the time I didn't realize, you know, that you were just so new to it as well and yeah. <laughs> creating this thing from your bedroom. So, um, Going from there after that first year of creating the show, mm -hmm. and um, so did you go out and buy the best equipment and get all the, the latest and get a team, <laughs> or, or, or what did it look like from there? Like, so, what was the transition after that first year? Okay, so remember, you know, and when we're filming this, usually we're about a year or even two behind and what's actually going on in the field, right? Especially at that time. Um, so, when professionals became a little bit more, you know, established, obviously, after, after the first year. You know, we got some more sponsors of dollars. Uh, a lot of the second year at that time was already kind of being shot or had been shot. So what, let me think here. What the, the next turning point for me was actually season three of The Professionals. So uh, we did a series then in Nepal. And that, you know, I'd been doing a little bit of shooting, but, you know, nothing special. And uh, most of my stuff was on the, the, you know, the editing side, the, the post side, post-production. But... Nepal was different. Nepal, you know, dad, and this is dad and I at this point talking about like what we could do that's kind of like a next step up. Um, and there's all kinds of factors that go into this. It's not just about making something that's better. Uh, it's also about making something that's efficient from like a filming standpoint too, right? Because ultimately this is, this is, you know, although I didn't look at it as a business so much at that point, you know, that's it, kind of what, what it is, right? You've, you've got a, the reason we're allowed to do this, the reason we can do these cool adventures and I'm allowed to you know, spend my life making creative things is because ultimately there's a market for it. And so we were discussing like, what can we do next? Like, where can, what can, what can be professionals like version two? And we throw all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, and, but what we settled on was, well, what if it could be something like 
we might be onto something here with thinking that a hunting series can be more than just about hunting. Because even professionals was wasn't totally about hunting, but it was still a lot about hunting. Uh, you know, we had kill shots in every episode, and um, so Nepal. I thought, okay, that's cool. Nepal is cool, right? Because I'm not a, again, I'm not a strict hunter guy at all at that time, and I wasn't. You know, some of the trips are doing like for me, it wasn't crazy exciting, but Nepal was. Um, so I said, okay, I'm going to go to Nepal and let's see what we can do and let's shoot for a longer format. And this is dad and I discussing all this. And, uh, I, I can't remember if we had a name for it ahead of time, but, but it ended up being uncharted, right? So let's make, let's use, we're going to go to Nepal and shoot a professional series anyway, or a professional's episode. Let's see how efficient we can be with their footage and let's delve into the more like dramatic part of it. Let's strap, let's tell a human interest story. Let's, let's make it about the people, not so much about the animals. And uh, again, you know, uh, being a little bit naive about it and also lucky we got there and Nepal was just like a, like a, I mean, I could not think of a more perfect place to film uh, a series like that than, than Nepal. So we got there ahead of time, myself and my very good friend, uh, Matt Gibson, and which is cameras. This is before dad or anybody got there. And we spent like three days just going around and filming, you know, in the middle of Kathmandu. And uh, if you watch the Nepal series, which is a four part series and season three of the professionals, uh, you'll see that. I mean, we've got like nothing to do with hunting. So we've got like, like Hindu, um, you know, temples and uh, people getting cremated and just like, um, I don't even have the words for it. Just really cool, like visuals. And I kind of ran with that. And I th- then when we, okay. And then dad and then Corey Knowlton was with us at this point. He got to Nepal. Then we filmed for two weeks in the middle of the mountains. And we were, you know, sleeping at 14,000 feet and climbing during the day. Jeez. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a dream for me, right? This is like, like, I love the mountain. I really do. I love the mountains. And this was my first experience of like doing like the real mountains, you know, where you're looking up and like, okay, that's Annapurna. And you're in a helicopter and you're looking up <laughs> at it. Wow. And like way up. And I'm thinking, holy, like, it's just, it just blows my mind. So I, not only did that work out for me just because of, you know, what we thought professionals could be and the plan that went into that, but also uh, I was really inspired. I mean, I'd be waking up at 2 a.m. to film, you know, all kinds of stuff in the middle of the night because I was so excited of the uh, to get like the footage we were getting. I mean, we were getting like, you know, Milky Way time lapse stuff, which at the time nobody was doing. You know, I'd never seen any of that stuff on the Outdoor Channel or, or hardly anywhere. And so I'm in, I'm on top of this mountain at 14,000 feet, getting this like crazy, uh, you know, views of the heavens and stuff, and, and on my little DSLR, my Canon 60D at the time, just thinking I'm like the luckiest guy ever, and like really having like. Uh, really inspired moments. And so then we got all that footage and this is blue. Sheep. I think we're hunting blue sheep and Himalayan tar at that point. Uh, and the content was amazing. I mean, Matt got altitude sickness and was, you know, throwing up blood and all kinds of stuff. That's, that's horrible, but also perfect for like, a from a film standpoint. Uh, and it was, you know, and then that we had a big rock that almost Matt was kind of got unlucky in this trip. Matt, a uh, big rock fell off a cliff and almost killed Matt actually. So that was on there. Uh, and I don't know, there was just something about that trip. So we brought all that footage back. And then I think I've got like a, a photo somewhere of me with this content working on it. But I don't know. I was, again, I was just, there's, there's certain times in your life where you hit like your stride. Like you hit like, you're like, okay, this is where I, I don't feel like I can do any wrong. And at that, it was at that point for me. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to like bigger artists and things, but I think people all have like their golden era or whatever. And I think like for me, that really was a point where I just thought, okay, I, I just can't do, I don't feel like I can do wrong with this. And that instead of being, normally we go for a 10 day shoot and that would be like a one, one episode, maybe two episodes. We made this into a four episode series and the, th- I can't remember the second or third episode had no kill shot at all. So no, there's no, hardly any hunting. There's hardly hunting in the first episode either. And that was, um, again, that was a risk for us at the time. But dad and I talked and we're like, you know, I, I think it'll be fine. You know, I, I, I think we have to assume that the audience on the outdoor channel and, and they don't, you know, they're not on there just to see stuff die. And I truly don't believe mm-hmm. that there's more. To, first of all, there's more to hunting than that, but there's more to, you know, telling hunting stories than that too. And so anyway, that, that was, 
that that was definitely the next turning point for me. And that was kind of our pitch for Uncharted. And then we went to the Door Channel and said, hey, people love the Nepal series. Um, and I think the Door Channel loved the, the Nepal series. And it's still probably my favorite series. And said, well, why don't we start doing that more often? Instead of a half hour series, let's do, let's tell stories in like hour long chunks and let's mm-hmm. make them more about the people rather than the the hunt. Yep. I've, I've always said that the, the cookie cutter episodes where oh, we're going to sit in a, a tree stand over top of a bait pile waiting for whitetail to walk in. Those are the ones I click right by, but the ones like professionals uncharted, those are the ones that tell a story that, as you said, it's, it's more than the kill. And that's what grabs me every time. And I love the realness and the rawness of those stories. So yeah, well done. Love those. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So transition from there. So, um, after uncharted, then, then where did you get off to? Okay, so we did uh, four seasons of Professionals because, again, it's kind of like a year lag, right? And then we switched Professionals over to Uncharted. Now, again, this is kind of, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we make changes like this. Um, But uh, this was to be more like the Nepal series. So, again, I was filming. So for the first season of Uncharted, when that aired, uh, those are hour-long episodes now. And the difference between... Maybe people listening will, will, will grasp this, but the dis- dis- <laughs> the difference between a half hour, like telling a story in a half hour and an hour is gigantic because you can't just like fluff over stuff. You really got to like delve into it um, because, and this is something that, you know, I, I realized at the time or I look back, it was it made it a lot harder, but we're not really necessarily filming more, right? So we're kind of filming the same amount, but then we're trying to get double the amount of content out of that and make it better at the same time. So that was a, a huge challenge for me, um, you know. And I, I, I love. I think the first season of Charted and some of the other seasons as well were, were were great. And I think we did hit that mark uh, sometimes. And sometimes it was tough. Sometimes we were really stretching footage to try and make, you know, enough content to to last for thirteen episodes. Um, and I have to put a, a caveat in here because I'm kind of implying that I filmed this. Uh, it was actually. I filmed most of the first season, but then most of everything else was filmed by a guy named Matt Zanil, who, you know, would, I just want to say that because he just would outwork anybody out there. He's, he's a, a real true talent and a, a good friend of mine now. And he kind of like carried that torch after, uh, because I was juggling between doing the field work and the post work and it became a lot, right. To try and get that to all work out. And, and at this time, Oh, let me think here. I'm going back time. Um, it wasn't just me now in like my bedroom with a cardboard uh, desk. This was now, I had an apartment in Vancouver, right? Because now we're doing a lot of content. I can't edit that all myself. So I, I had people helping and actually doing mostly editing in Chartered. So I was kind of mostly like overseeing a lot of it. And, uh, but I still couldn't afford like an office. So I had totally illegally, I went and bought a bunch of secondhand desks and I lined up my apartment. I had like a thousand square foot apartment in Vancouver and I, and not a nice apartment at all. And I lined the edging the edge of the of the room with a bunch of desks, and then uh, when we hired editors or colorists or whoever was coming in there, uh, they just come into my apartment. So they trod down the hall, knock on the door, and then I let them in before and the neighbor saw. And then so every day, you know, we have anywhere from however you know four to eight people working in my apartment. Uh, so yeah, which is definitely like not something you're supposed not to code anyway. Uh, and and we. Uh, yeah, that, that was, that's how we made Uncharted for the most part. And then I think by season three, I had also picked up a couple of different or another series called Carter's War at that point. Somewhere out there, there was some overlap. So we we're doing Uncharted and Carter's War uh, because Un- Uncharted had, had was commercially successful, you know, as well. But it's, again, it was based on that idea in Nepal that like you can make a series about more than just the hunt. And so we would try and find places. Dad would say, okay, I'm going to go all over the world this year. Like, where do we want to shoot Uncharted with? And I'd try and, you know, figure with him, like, where we want to shoot it. So I don't know if I'm kind of wondering over the place and what happened with that. But that's yeah, kind no, of a- uh, very cool, man. It's uh, quite, a, quite a journey. So let just before we move on to the next part, uh, is your passion the editing side of it, production side? Is it uh, behind the mm-hmm. camera, a little of both? Um, I know there's a trade-off, and I know – talking to your dad he's transitioned right he doesn't want to travel anymore he wants to be at home is that something that's important to you now with the young family and stuff yeah yeah um you know i'm just gonna speak honest here that first year where i'm filming you know a lot for uncharted you know that's just a fraction of what dad would would even do in a year um and it's a fraction what mads and neil would later do 
when he was, you know, filming for all of it or most of it. And uh, it was, yeah, I found it hard. You know, I mean, we'd be up in the Arctic for, you know, shooting for like three weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, it's rough. You know, you, you talk about it. I didn't always have the same experience as I had with something like Nepal, where I just feel like so inspired. Uh, I remember in the Arctic in particular, or like even Papua New Guinea was a little bit like this. I mean, it's like, it's like tough. Like I've got camera stuff. It's like literally Papua New Guinea was like rotting, like, you know, just like, like rotting, like, like just like components falling out of it. <laughs> Cause you're, you're, it's just like so humid and muddy and, and, um, then on the Arctic side, uh, again, you know, I think, oh, it's so great, you know, because I'm looking at all the stuff from like what it will eventually be like on as a show. I think I'm like say, well, well you got all the elements there. You've got a, a culture that's, you know, in dire straits and literally and that was amazing. Um, and you've got these, this crazy environment that no one's really filmed in or not filmed right. Uh, and then I, and then dad's like, yeah, but, you know, like, you got to understand like, that there's a reason why they're not filming up there. It's because it's hard. It's like tough. And so we got up there and and. If anybody has an experience like a minus 100 wind chill, I mean, I, I promise you it changes the way you think about, you know, <laughs> coldness and mother nature. I mean, it was rough. Like, uh, I'd be filming out there with my my camera gear. First of all, my batteries would last like five minutes. And then um, my, uh, you know, I couldn't operate the cameras with my gloves on. So I'd have to take my gloves off every so often. And my hands would get so cold that when I put my, my hand back in the, the glove, I couldn't feel my hand. Like, literally nothing. So... I put it in and after a while I, I realized something was off with the way my, my finger felt where my hands were feeling. So I looked down and like my finger would just be out of the glove. I put like three fingers in, but one hanging out and not realize it. Just like, you know, I, and then traveling all day um, on the back of, you know, dog sleds and you're just getting, don't think of the snow up there. I'm, I'm sure you guys have I've done this kind of stuff, but the snow is not soft and like, you know, this is not frosty, the snowman stuff. Like you're, it's like hard ice and we're just getting, crushed all day long in the back of these dog sets having to lie down and then i'm not this is not me complaining i'm just trying to describe like this experience and then uh you know i wouldn't know how to use my face mask properly right because you have to use a face mask it's too cold your, your eyelids literally freeze so uh i have my face mask on and then within maybe i'd say three or four minutes it would be completely clouded with frost uh and you cannot get that frost off so for the rest of the day your face mask is covered in frost so you're sitting there getting pounded in the back of a dog sled. You can't see anything. Uh, and it's for like eight hours. And um, I, I think I had a couple times and I was like, hmm, you know, maybe like filming full time for Uncharted isn't for me because I'm just frankly not tough enough. <laughs> you know, just like not. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, am I more than any guy? I love filming. Uh, I really do. So I, I think if I had to, if, I, if someone said like, hey, you can only do one part of this for the rest of your life, it would be cinematography, filming. Um Although I will say, I think the editing is where the real value comes in and where I think most people trip up a little bit is editing is where you tell the stories, you know, really where you flesh things out and where you bring audiences on like a, an emotional journey because uh, you can shoot the best content in the planet and, and it just comes off as, as flat for people. And there's a real, there's an art to it. Mm -hmm. I'm not claiming to be the, the best editor ever. There's people that were working with me now in Uncharted who are far better editors than I will ever be. And, uh, you know, I was, I was working with them at, at that point, but it was, yeah, I, I like it all, but, but I think definitely for me, I love the mountains. Um, so with the camera in hand in the mountains, it's hard for me to beat. I, I'm in Prince George and I, I predator hunt every winter and oh, wow. I, I know mid late December, early January, we can get minus 30 here. Then you jump on the back of a sled and you're going 30, 40 yeah. K and we're only hitting minus 45 with the wind. I, I know what you mean about the freezing of the goggles. I can imagine 100. That's insane. Like unfathomable. It, it was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I actually, um, I think I came out of that and I said, okay, everybody needs to be able to experience that like once in their lives. Cause you will never, ever, ever complain about being cold again. It's just not the same. Like, <laughs> yep. But, but, that, but also I say that and, and this happened, this was also uh, with a lot, like I was, again, this is me realizing, you know, especially as I get older, like how lucky I was, right? Because I, it's not just in the Arctic. I spent time in Africa with, uh, you know, literally like some of the poorest people in the in the world or in the Papua New Guinea where they literally have hardly even seen, like they're looking at your camera as if you're some kind of a space alien. Like you're just totally 
culturally, I mean, you realize like the diversity of, of cultures out there and how, how easy it is to take what we have in the Western world for granted. Um, and, you know, not just like, like physical things I'm talking about, you know, so just like our, our, you know, our knowledge, like our, our, um, experiences and our, our, uh, what is it? Just the, um, I don't know the, the viewpoint we have in the West, like we're, it's very easy to kind of get cozy into that and thinking that, you know, this is what everybody has and how everybody sees the world. And it's, it's just not true. Uh, but saying that I would go to a place of the Arctic and say, wow, you know, this, everybody should experience this. I'll never take the cold for granted again, but I guarantee within a few months that those memories fade and, you know, I walk outside and it's whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> minus whatever five and I'm, I'm complaining about it. Or I, I mentioned something about how cold it is. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm any, I think in one way I'm, I'm, have been ridiculously lucky. Um, but I don't know that I've maximized that completely. I think I still fall into the trap of, of, uh, you know, like I say, like worrying about if I'm getting a soy latte or a regular latte from Starbucks. Uh, when I know for a fact, when I came back from filming in Africa, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I would, I would, I would treasure that little that that little drink I had and think this is the the greatest thing you know ever and we're so lucky but then you know that fades over time. Yeah, right on. So you look at these experiences you've had and you talked about some of your you know your uncomfortable ones and then things that are impactful. Um, when when you think back, what what's the one that uh, stands out for you that was the the most extreme? Was it was it that Arctic experience? And then and then the other one I would really want to know is uh, what's your closest uh, experience to dying because it's I think <laughs> the professionals and uncharted you know there's lots of times where you guys were doing some pretty dodgy stuff so is yeah. there anything that stands out where it's like wow that was that was pretty serious and we're lucky to that it didn't go bad um yes okay and again I want to caveat this by, by like I'm not some tough guy really and I tell this to people a lot of times when we go like out and film stuff um you know I don't want to be the toughest I'm not pretending to be the toughest I don't have any desire to like, you know, test my, you know, metal against like whatever, a grizzly bear or something. It's just not me. Um, but I think that story wise and film wise, you know, you have to go to, you know, somewhere along the envelope at some point to, to get the best stuff. Right. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing? If we're calling a show uncharted, I mean, you, you better be doing something that's kind of uncharted. Right. So, uh, okay. The, I would say just like in terms of like conditions, I think the Arctic was the hardest. It's definitely hardest on camera gear. It's hardest on the human body. It's certainly not a place that I go up and think like, wow, like humans are meant to be here. Um, it gave me a lot of respect for the uh, indigenous peoples that have been up there, you know, that have, have lived up there without modern comforts. Uh, it's just unbelievable to imagine them living in a place like that and, and not just like saying, yeah, okay, I'm going to head south. Like, until I find something a little bit uh, more manageable. I mean, it's, it's, it's blows my mind, you know, and it's very humbling even now to think about that. Um, near, uh, near death experiences. So I don't think I've had anything quite like what, you know, again, what Matt had in Nepal where that rock was falling down. I mean, that was pretty legit. I mean, you could easily have died there. Uh, okay. I, I can probably mention two. Uh, one, and this is not actually near death. So anybody who's done a lot of hunting in Africa will probably laugh at this, especially professional hunters, because this happens fairly often. But we were in, uh, I was uh, I was like, I don't know, I think I was in high school. And we were in uh, Africa and dad took me, uh, we were leopard hunting. And, uh, you know, again, normal for me at that time, but very not normal for the high school kid to be leopard hunting. I wasn't, I wasn't hunting, I was just kind of observing at that point. So I think it was Cody Robbins was there. Dad was there, I was there, and then a guy named Mike Fell was in the tent. I think it was Mike Fell. And um, Mike Mike Fell is a professional uh, PH there, and like all PHs in Africa, I mean, they're kind of the toughest of the tough. And Mike, I think, is one of the tougher of the toughest of the tough, if that makes any sense. I mean, he's just like a, uh, yeah, I mean, as tough as they come. Anyway, we were in a blind uh, on the ground waiting for a leopard to come in, in the morning, and, the, and you, yeah, you have a bunch of bait in front of you. Uh, but in Africa, there's not just leopards, there's also lions. So, uh, and Africa was very dry. And at that point I would get nosebleeds like all the time. So I'm just like nosebleeding all the time in Africa. 
And we walk out there in the morning and my nose starts bleeding. So it's just bleeding all over. And I'm holding it, you know, doing the best I can to stop it from bleeding. And we're, now we're in the tent. Um, but there's blood over my hands, right? And uh, You're basically baiting, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this is, uh, you can kind of see where this is going. So then, so we're waiting there and you got to be, you're in the pitch black. You get there like 4 a.m. It's pitch dark and you can't see anything, but you can hear stuff. And in Africa, there's a lot of things you can hear. Uh, and a lot of things in Africa aren't necessarily friendly. And obviously lions are ones that are very not much not at nighttime in Africa where we were, uh, lions are not scared of humans at all. It's not like daytime, totally different. They see in the day they, you know, may or may not, uh, run, but nighttime you're just another, you know, walking lamb chop for them. So, uh, I, where we started hearing, uh, footprints like padded footprints, and we're thinking, I was thinking, okay, leopard's coming. And then you start hearing a lot more fatted, padded footprints and you think, no, that's not leopard. They, they don't, there's not a bunch of leopards, right? It'd be just one. So that's probably lions. And then uh, you start wondering if they're coming to the bait or not. And then you realize, no, it's far too close to be hearing the footprints, you know, for the bait. So anyway, this, uh, we started hearing these footprints come all around our little blind. And you can't, again, it's pitch dark. You can't hear anything. There is a gun, but it's a muzzle loader, And it's just like, propped up on the you know inside of the tent somewhere uh and it wouldn't do any good anyway you can't hear anything so you can't see anything so we're sitting there in dead silence i remember kind of like looking at dad and, and him kind of looking back at me and you know dad again way tougher than me by a, a billion bajillion times dad doesn't get scared often and he wasn't scared then but he definitely gave me like an eye like i could see by his eyes like this is a little bit serious like this is something that's kind of crazy and uh the yeah these lines started coming around our tent and not just you know like walking around it but started like huffing at it like they kind of go to the, they go to the bottom and they kind of go <laughs> like blowing you know blowing stuff in the, like i think what it is and mike will explain this after like to them they don't know what this is it, like the the blind looks like uh you know it's fabric right it's just a little it's basically a tent it's a very uh weak tent and they look at it and like maybe it's like a an ant mound or something they don't not sure what to do with it but in reality, the only thing that's separating us from the lion, literally a f two feet away, uh, is, you know, the flimsiest, flimsiest little piece of fabric ever. And my nose is bleeding, so I've got blood everywhere. <laughs> so they're huffing at the Jesus. tent. <laughs> and they're trying to get, again, Mike will explain this later because he's not talking at the time, but he said they're trying to get you to run. They're trying to get some, whatever's in there. They don't know or what, what this is, but they're seeing if they can get something to, you know, scurry out of there and, you know, kill it. So you can't run. Uh, and then they started kind of batting stuff around and they, they knocked a big branch. And I think it fell on dad, you know, on his shoulder kind of thing. <laughs> so, so they're, they're trying to fuss around this thing and try and get us out of there. So anyway, that was a not great. Ex that was an experience for me where I thought, you know, I, my, I thought my heart start going. I thought, oh, okay, this actually could be like very not good. Uh, and, uh, and I was scared and I'm not afraid to admit I was, I was scared at that point. And uh, I know for a fact, Mike fell was not scared. And I uh, don't think dad was either, but, but that for me changed things, you know, the way I looked at the stuff that I was doing at that time where I was, and I think actually I sat out, uh, after going leopard hunting after that, cause I was just like, you know, I just, that, that just doesn't seem worth it to me. That doesn't seem fun. Uh, I don't want to get, you know, as much as I like filming, I don't want to get, you know, clawed to death by some giant line. I think Mike Fell said something funny. He said, yeah, they, uh, they don't realize that they've got zippers, like they've got five zippers on each hand ready to just rip through the tent if they want it. You know, they just don't, they just don't, but they could. So yeah, that, that sucked. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. But yeah. So, but I'm trying to think if I've had other ones. I mean, definitely I was in a couple experiences in, um, uh, when we we're shooting Carter's war, which is like an African show, uh, when it's about uh, Ivan Carter was basically tracking down like anti-poachers in that in that place, and again you're getting into the realm where uh, you know this is like a dangerous thing to do, like chasing down. We weren't actually chasing down poachers, but even being in those environments, you know, you hear the gunshots and you go and you find like the dead rhinos and stuff. It was horrible, uh, but it's life or death stuff. Like I mean, those people, the park rangers, when they find the poachers, I mean, often they they get shot. Like it's, they don't. It's like a war. So. That was kind of dangerous. We had some pretty dangerous experiences with, with close-up elephant stuff, you know, stuff where I know that, um, you know, if you were to run in those, if you were to act a certain way with animals, sometimes they'll see that, you know, that's an opportunity for them. And, and, and elephants are kind of like that. So 
I know at one time, I won't go into details, but one time in Africa, I had to like stand my ground, you know, with an elephant kind of coming at me sort of thing. Um, and I had to do that with the knowledge that like, if I would run in this case, you know, I'd be in a lot of trouble. So, and I don't like being in those situations where like, it's kind of like you're putting your life on the line. Um, and, uh, and again, I want to caveat this stuff. Like I, I don't do anything near what Ivan would do or, you know, what dad has done, you know, dad's been charged and all this stuff, like, like just crazy stuff. And I've never been at that point. I've never been like, okay, I think I'm, I'm going to die. Uh, and, and very thankfully, and I've tried to avoid those scenarios. Um, and then I want, and then quickly, the closest I've actually, actually ever been to death was I was driving down a highway in Texas six months ago or a year ago now, uh, with Corey, Corey Knowlton. And we we're driving and, uh, the speed limit 75, right? So nothing to do with hunting, nothing to do with filming. I wasn't even thinking about taking chances at this point, but speed limit 75, we're going 75 and it was kind of getting to dusk and in Texas, they have these weird kind of on ramps on the highways. And, uh, I wrote about this on Instagram, but this, you know, I found out later, I guess this, this 80 year old guy, he got onto the highway going 75 miles an hour thinking he was heading, you know, whatever, thinking he was heading, uh, westbound. No, thinking he was heading eastbound, but he was heading westbound. So he got on the highway going the wrong way. And so we were driving, it was Corey and I, and then right next to us was another vehicle, uh, driven by, I don't know his name. I found this all later, of course, you know, cause I don't, I don't, I didn't know them at the time, but, uh, yeah, it was just, you know, a guy with two kids at home, um, you know, and a wife and just like me, I've got a wife, two kids at home. And, uh, this elderly guy started driving down the highway in the wrong direction and just, you know, he could have been in either lane and he chose to be in the one lane. So he hit the car next to us and, uh, killed everybody. Wow. And we were just driving around. Yeah. And I mean, even now it's kind of giving me goosebumps, but uh, I mean the, like, you're going 75 on a highway and you don't have, we couldn't really see, there's like a semi truck kind of, and we just couldn't really see what happened and what was coming. You only have like a second to see it. And then it just happens like that. And you, and you hear the crunch of those cars hitting, you know, like, okay, like nobody survived that. Um, so that was the closest I've come to actually dying. I mean, far closer than any experience I've had that I know about anyway in, um, you know, filming in remote locations. Yeah, always the case, right? You have all these near-death experiences, but that's never the one that gets you. It's something like that, right? And the, the one you don't see. So, Yeah, and what a waste that would be. You know, I remember thinking like, wow, like I wouldn't even have time to even think about hardly anything. You know, it's like split second. There's no, you know, and there was no like, no angelic choir, no thoughts of, you know, whatever, you know, the life I've lived or, you know. So it's it really was a kind of an eye-opening thing for me and, and something that I try and, keep with me because you know just i can't imagine you know realizing the car's coming at you and you're about to die and having like regrets in your life mm-hmm. yeah okay uh let's let's segue a little bit um what what's the current project what are you working on now what's on uh, on the agenda for for you and your your team right now yeah um so I'm working on a, pro- I think I mentioned earlier, but I'm working on a, a project called America. Oh, I don't know if I want to say the title. I don't think <laughs> it's kind of in development, so I better not, but, um, it, we're going to be, and I won't even go into too many details, but, but basically I'm doing our series with the outdoor channel. It's gonna be super cool, I think. Uh, and it's going to sort of focus on like this, this USA made, this kind of American made, um, shift, you know, this kind of grassroots, mo- grassroots movement we're seeing right now. Um, you know, and I'm down in Kansas city, so I'm in like a perfect spot to, to film this and and be a part of that. So that's really exciting, you know, and it isn't, again, I'm kind of getting away from like my base, right? Like where I learned my, you know, how to film and do everything was out in the middle of nowhere. And in some respects, uh, that is, that's pretty freeing, right? Because you can kind of do whatever you want. There's not a lot of like established paths that you should follow or shouldn't follow. Uh, you know, there's a few, but it's not like doing a series like this is. So t- t- this is a whole new world to me. And I'm, you know, we're dealing with lighting and, you know, camera uh, people like, you know, grips and, and, uh, and, you know, like catering and things like that, like stuff that I'm not used to. So it's out of my comfort zone a, a little bit, uh, but I'm excited. Like, I think for me, this is a chance to, you know, like see if, you know, I can kind of, again, get like to another rung on the ladder type thing, like climbing, like, uh, get past another obstacle and, and make something that succeeds. So, 
Yeah, I'm excited about that. I've got a, a bunch of other projects going as well, but all I, I kind of have a lot of like pokers in the fire, but nothing that is like really coming through quite yet or that I can talk about. But um, I'm definitely like expanding beyond just the, the hunting space, but also in some ways like re-going back into it too, looking at it from a different angle, from more like a commercial angle, from like a branding angle, uh, getting into more like, you know, consulting slash branding projects um, and seeing if I can take skills that I've learned in the outdoor world and, and again, provide value uh, to other people and, and varying audiences. So on that that theme, I guess aspirationally, and you see yourself, you know, you're you're you know, you're young guy, you've got a young family, ten years, fifteen, twenty years down the road. Um, do you see yourself uh, heavily in the film industry? We got the legacy back home, right? You've got you know what your dad's created his you know his outfitting businesses and and, and his brand as well, right? There's you know that there's a probably an opportunity for a secession there as well. Have you given that some thought? Where you see yourself ten, twenty, thirty years down the road? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question, man. There's so many unknowns, you know, I, I think that for me, I will definitely always still try to be involved in the film space, like in the cinematography space, in the editing space. Um, because you know, honestly that I really like it. Um, and I feel like again, through a lot of, you know, sort of naive moves and things like I, I've, I've gained a lot of experience in that space. So you know, for me, you know, I don't, man, 20, 25 years is a long way off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would, I would think so. Um, you know, at some point I would love to also, you know, start working with more with younger generations, you know, people that are looking for opportunities that are, um, you know, like what I was, you know, when I was 20, you know, that are kind of floating around and looking for something to apply themselves to. I love to, you know, provide opportunities for that, you know, for, for, for creatives, you know, I think there's tremendous opportunity for creatives, especially even in the outdoor space to all kind of get together and, and become greater than the sum of their parts, if that makes sense. So yeah, I, I would love to drive forward something like that. I am working towards that. Um, you know, and, and there's some, some exciting things we're working on now that I think hopefully will come to fruition. And if you talk to me in a year, maybe we can talk about it, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to be like, a an enabler, like, a uh, not a, a beacon's the wrong word, but but a leader in that space, for, in, in the creative space, in the outdoor world. Awesome. So, uh, Kansas City is that the, is that where you guys are for the foreseeable future? You see yourself coming back to the West Coast, or how does that look for you? Yeah. So my wife and I love, like, first of all, we love the West Coast. We didn't move because we necessarily wanted to, um, you know, and we, and we love it here too. But we, uh, uh, my wife got uh, fairly sick a few years ago. And uh, we couldn't figure out what was going on, really. And we still kind of haven't. And uh, so we actually moved down to Kansas City to be closer to her family because her family's here. And they they're you know they have a lot of um, they're just a I don't know, they have a lot of time to help with you know the the kids and and be supportive with her. When I was kind of like, well, you know, like eventually like, I got to start you know really getting out there and put in longer work days and and uh, you know doing kind of the, the dad thing. So. That that's kind of why we're here right now. But we kept it, we actually kept our place up in up in Canada, and, and yeah, our, our plan is to eventually move back there, move close to there, definitely come back up to the West Coast if we can swing it. Awesome. Any hunt plans for the fall? You got anything going on, or are you just uh, working lots? So what's what's the plan there? Yeah. Um, so this this, uh, this series for the Door Channel that's going to be a lot of my film, kind of like that's that's you know people are asking what I'm doing in the fall. I mean, that's going to take up a lot of it, I think. So I don't know that I'll be doing any hunts. Uh, I went up on a cool one on Alaska. So last about uh, just a little over a year ago. Uh, uh, so with, that was with Cam Haynes and Kip Falks. And that was pretty incredible. That was cool. Uh, so that's actually the last hunt that I've done though. So I haven't, you know, again, because I don't, you know, in the old days or not even that long ago, I had a lot of uh, vehicles for using footage and things like that, right? Like Uncharted, uh, Carter's War, stuff like that. So, so I had a reason for going, but nowadays um, people are like, well, come film the hunt. I'm like, well, I got, okay, that's cool. But like, w- what's the, what's the reason behind it? Cause now I'm not a single kid anymore, just kind of with a, nothing else to do, but going and film stuff. Like I've got a family, I've got, you know, mortgages, I've got, uh, responsibilities, accountabilities. And so, you know, I, I just, I have to look at the, the full, I have to take a step back and kind of look at the full picture now, rather than just being like, yeah, that'd be an awesome adventure. Let's go. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, Brian, Lynn, I just uh, want to thank you for for chatting today. And um, 
and definitely when when this new uh, this new episode comes out or this mm-hmm. new show comes out, uh, let us know what it is. I want to hear all about it. I'm yeah, stoked to hear about it. So, uh, and cool. maybe a year year down the road, let's do this again and catch up and uh, see where you get to. It's it's always fun to watch your journeys. And yeah, I was watching your stuff with Cam there, so I was wondering, were you doing any photography work on that or some film work on that, or what was going on with the stuff with Cam? Yeah, so I actually did a whole film with that. Uh, okay. So that that's kind of the thing. I was like, okay, if I go up there. You know, first of all, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Cam, and I'm a big fan of Kip Falks, too, actually. And uh, Kip Falks was the co-founder of Under Armour, right? So literally brought Under Armour from, like, a thing in his buddy's basement to, uh, you know, $5 billion company. And, and he's a really interesting guy, not just, not just because of that, too. And, um, yeah, so we, we went up there, and we ended up, I mean, literally, we got there, and it was, like, 70 degrees, and the next day, Fahrenheit, and the next day, uh, it was, like, a blizzard. Uh, I mean, uh, just, like, the most ridiculous... Uh, weather change of like every scene in my life to where we just like huddling in our tent all day long, like freezing. So I spent a lot of time with those guys. Anyway, anyway, we, um, I thought, okay, if I go up there, uh, I'll make a film and we'll just, we'll just see what we can do. Cause you know, distribution platforms are changing in the old days. You had to have whatever, you know, a, uh, a cable network to support you or some kind of distribution network that was established with, you know, whatever, uh, blockbuster, whoever, uh, nowadays totally different. You can, film something and release it online right now on YouTube for free. Uh, so I thought, well, this would be a cool opportunity to do that. And we did, we made an awesome film. Um, we're still working. I won't go through the details, but we're working, working through like how we're going to release it. Um, and if we're going to release it, uh, so that could be something down the line that gets done or it could be shelved. You know, I, I don't know, but we'll see. Okay, well, keep us in mind. We can release it through the Wild Sheep Society BC channels anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'd love to have it. So, uh, right on. Well, hey, that that is awesome. That, what, what a great, great chat. It was uh, so cool to catch up with you, and uh, we got to do it again. It's uh, awesome to hear everything. And, and uh, yeah, got to come up for BC and uh, ch- come chase some sheep around or something like that. Oh, that'd be so cool. I'd love to do that. I really appreciate you guys having me on here. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I didn't ramble. No, it was great, man. Appreciate it.